reading from Luke chapter 9 and starting at verse 28 through to verse 36. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John and James with him and went on a mountain to pray. While he was praying, his face changed and his clothes became shining white. Suddenly Moses and Elijah were there speaking with him. They appeared in heavenly glory and talked about all that Jesus' death in Jerusalem would mean. Peter and the other two disciples had been sound asleep. All at once they woke up and saw how glorious Jesus was. They also saw the two men who were with him. Moses and Elijah were about to leave when Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But Peter didn't know what he was talking about. While Peter was still speaking, a shadow from a cloud passed over them, and they were frightened as the cloud covered them. From the cloud, a voice spoke. This is my chosen son. Listen to what he says. After the voice had spoken, Peter, John and James saw only Jesus. For some time they kept quiet and didn't say anything about what they had seen. Today we're picking up again our series in Luke and picking up on some of the uh, stories that we find in the Luke in Luke's gospel. And so we're looking at this one of Jesus's transfiguration there encountering the glory of God. So let's step into this story. I want us to explore the story, but I want us to also see what this story has to uh, to say to each and every one of us, about how we can encounter God's glory. Four people climbing the mountain pass. One, he's quite purposeful. He feels as if he knows where he's going and what he's doing. Three others just lag a little bit behind because they're not quite sure why they were chosen. They were not quite sure why they were picked out. But here they are following him up this mountain pass, getting craggy, they're getting higher. And they're wondering why. Why have they left the town below and come into this wilderness? Just the four of them. The trip has been long, the hour is late. A level place on the hillside is reached and they come and they sit down. They're tired. Their muscles hurt. The greyness of the twilight settles over them like a warm embracing duvet. The four pilgrims long to sleep, but only three of them do. The fourth sits there in the shadows, legs crossed, face looking skyward. He's in the posture of prayer. 
lips gently moving to the sounds of silent words. The moon lights up his weary, intense face. A light breeze wafts over his shoulders, cooling his neck. He slips off his sandals and rubs his sore feet and reflects on the journey so far and what still needs to be accomplished. In these moments, away from the clamour of the broken world, he pours out his heart to his heavenly Father. This has always been his practice when faced with important questions or at critical moments in his life. Withdraw from the rat race, preferably to the mountains, and pray. An intentional action of withdrawing to proactively engage with his Heavenly Father. You see, the first lesson in encountering God is this. We have to be intentional about it. We need to deliberately plan it. We need to deliberately prepare for it. We need to set aside the time. We need to cross out the time in our diaries. Change our schedules. Not leave it to chance, but make it a priority. The second lesson in encountering God is this. We have to be proactive about it. We need to do it. Not just think about it or talk about it. We need to absence ourselves from the rat race. Turn off the mobile, leave the tablet at home and remove ourselves from those distractions of life. And find that inner place. That place where we can be at one with God. But to continue the story. As he was praying, Luke writes, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes become as bright as a flash of lightning. From another dimension a light comes. It enters the solitary figure and glows. Jesus radiates with glory. For just a moment, he is transfigured. A roaring radiance pours from him. He becomes as he was before he came. For one brief shining moment, the burden of his humanity is lifted. You could say he's de-incarnated in those moments. He is elevated above earth's horizon and escorted into the eternal. He is home again, deep in conversation with two men, Moses and Elijah, aflame with eternal glorious robes, standing beside their king. When Jesus was preparing himself in the desert for his life's ministry, Angels came to encourage him. Now on the mountainside, as he prepares for the work of salvation that will take him to the cross, Moses and Elijah 
draw near. Luke records that they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment in Jerusalem. The word departure is literally exodus. They are speaking about his suffering, his betrayal, his crucifixion in our place for our sins as our substitute saviour. His death, his resurrection and subsequent ascension into glory that will precipitate a new exodus. The bringing of many sons and daughters into glory, as the writer to Hebrews puts it. The two streams of Israel's history stand together, honouring the one who is the fulfilment of both the law and the prophets. All that they have spoken about comes to focus in on this one man, Jesus. Moses, the lawgiver, whose grave no man knew. Elijah, the prophet, who sidestepped death in a fiery chariot. The one, Jesus, who was to see death, is reminded The grave is impotent. Here they stand together in glorious unity. A view of yesterday, of where we have come from, but a glimpse of eternity, of our destiny. There in this sublime moment on the mountainside. It will happen suddenly. Quicker than the blink of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet, the dead will be raised. We will all be changed so that we will never die again. Our dead and decaying bodies will be changed into bodies that won't die or decay. The bodies we now have are weak and can die, but they will be changed into bodies that are eternal. Then the scriptures will come true. Death has lost its battle. Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration scene stand as a testimony and an encouragement to those words. Change from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before him, lost in wonder, love and praise. That is our destiny and it's here in front of us in this scene. You have to feel sorry for Peter, John and James. Bleary-eyed and stumbling into a scene where they see his glory. I'm not sure any of us would have been any the less clumsy than Peter was. Later John was to write, we have seen his glory The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The glory of God is one of the great themes of the Bible and it's referenced over 300 times throughout Scripture in various ways. When we speak about the glory of God, we're speaking about an attribute of God, an aspect of who God is that is hard to pin down like describing the word beauty 
How would you describe the word beauty? You describe it by using other words. It's like talk, it's like taking all the glorious attributes of God, his splendour, his beauty, his magnificence, his goodness, his radiance, his preeminence, his holiness, his majesty, his magnificence, his purity, his worthiness, his light, his power, his superiority, and gathering them all into this one word, glory. The glory of God. Moses, the one who stood at his side in his earthly life, prior to climbing Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God, asked God in Exodus 33, Now show me your glory. What an audacious request to ask of Almighty God. And the Lord's response was this. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Equating his goodness with his glory. John Piper defines the glory of God like this. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. The infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. The third lesson in encountering God is this. Don't try to box God in. Don't try to organise him. How many of us try to preempt how God will show up rather than letting God be God? And just receiving what he gives. And how many of us try to be like Peter, that when he does show up, we try then to put him in a box. Let's build him a booze. Let's keep him here. Let's keep him in this moment. But God is bigger than this moment. Because God is every moment. And we try to box him in when God cannot be boxed in and will not be boxed in. It is as Peter clumsily stumbles around the sea that that the scene goes up a few gears and they are gripped by fear. A cloud appeared and covered them. A cloud is a symbol throughout scripture of the manifest presence of the glory of God. Settled on the mountain, there in the Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments. It settled there over the people as they went through the wilderness. It settled over the temple, it filled the temple of Solomon. The cloud, the manifest glory of God. But not only does the cloud cover them, but it is a talking cloud. A voice comes from the cloud saying, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And without the cloud, Moses and Elijah are gone. And they are left alone with Jesus. With these words of acknowledgement, this is my son. With words of affirmation, whom I have chosen. 
and with a word of instruction, listen to him. Listen to him. God puts his acknowledgement, God puts his affirmation upon Jesus and upon who he is. It's only earlier in this passage, in John chapter 9, that Jesus has said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter had come out with, you are the Messiah. You are the coming one. And here on this mountainside, they have the full revelation of who Jesus is. God and man combined in one. Humanity and divinity united together in one for the purpose of the salvation of the world. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Yes, chosen. Chosen what for? Yes, to be the saviour of the world. Listen to him. It's a simple instruction, isn't it, to the disciples? You can't get more simpler than that, can you? Listen to him. The fourth lesson in encountering God is this. You need to tune in. You need to tune in to God. Or to put it another way, whose voice are you listening to? On our shelf in the kitchen in front of uh, where I do the washing up, or cower sometimes, you know, that's it. But uh, there's the radio. There's many, many stations on that radio. And I tune it in to where I want to listen. Normally Radio 4 or Radio 5. That's, that's my preferences there. But yeah, we have to tune in to God. We have to need to tune in to that voice. We live in a world that is full of conflicting voices. But there is only one that we should tune into. And that is Jesus. How do we do that? We tune into his voice through his word, the Bible, the scriptures. We tune into his voice through worship. We tune into his voice through one another and being part of a fellowship together. That's why connect groups are so important. Because it's there in connect groups that we can combine those three elements together of word, worship and united together in fellowship. If you're not reading his word, then you're not hearing his voice. If you're not worshipping him with your brothers and sisters, you're not hearing his voice. You're not tuning in. Whose voice are you listening to? Is it the voice of expediency? The voice of convenience? No need for you to help out. Anyway, haven't you got something else planned? Weren't you going to go to the cinema? Weren't you going to have a date night? Weren't you going to have a walk around Ferry Meadows? When are you going to visit the in-laws? No need for you to help out. They'll get by without you. 
Is it the voice of compromise? Of course, you don't have to do that. It's all right for them, but you don't have to go that far. You don't have to be baptised. You don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to tell your neighbour about Jesus. It's all right for them. You don't have to do it. Is it the voice of apathy? Look, come on. You've had a busy week. Stay in, be kind to yourself. You need a bit of me time. There's always next week. There's always next week's connect group. Next week's prayer meeting. Next week's service. You've had a busy week. Be kind to yourself. Or there's the voice of disquiet. Well, you know, this church, it's not meeting your needs, is it? You'd be much better going off to that one. They have better worship there. They have better teaching. Better children's work, better youth work. The people are much more friendly there. You'll have a better welcome there. There are many voices, aren't there, that crowd in. But we need to tune in to that one voice. And we need to do it positively. We need to make time. We need to find space. And we need to tune in. We all say, I want to encounter God. We all say, yes, we want to experience God afresh. And I have many conversations with people and they say, oh, God seems distant. God doesn't seem very near now, like he used to. Have you made the time? Have you made the space? Have you tuned in? Maybe if you did that, then God would reveal his glory. God would reveal his presence. And you'd hear his voice. Let's pray. I'm going to use some words. Words of a song that sometimes we sing. But they're words that have just, uh, particularly the, uh, the chorus of this song. Father of creation, unfold your sovereign plan. Raise up a chosen generation that will march through this land. For all of creation is longing for your unveiling of power. Would you release your anointing? Oh God, 
Let this be the hour. Let your glory fall in this room. Let it go from here to the nations. Let your fragrance rest in this place as together we gather to seek your face. Ruler of the nations, the world has yet to see the full release of your promise, the church in victory. Turn to us, Lord, and touch us. Make us strong in your might. Overcome our weakness that we could stand up and fight. Becca, could you come back onto the platform, please? Let your glory fall in this room. Let it go forth from here to the nations. Let your fragrance rest in this place. As we gather and seek your face. Let's stand together.